Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 10. Be looking primarily at the the first couple of verses, but we'll read all of the the verses 1 through 10 and then deal with them uh, a bit. This is God's word. It is inspired by him. It is given to us. It is without error. It is our final authority in faith and in life. With all that in mind, let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Isaiah 11 1 through 10. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. The grass withers and the flower fades. God's word endures forever. Amen. Gift-giving is a huge part of the Christmas season, of course. You know this. And sometimes we may, we may lament the fact that it can, can tend to pull our minds and our hearts in a direction of caring too much about getting things. But it's important to keep in mind, relative to the gift-giving of the Christmas season, that to give and to receive, when it's done correctly, both of these can be good for the soul, giving and receiving. Gifts actually play a big part in Jesus coming to earth as the Messiah, We read in Isaiah chapter 11 uh, about the Messiah. This, of course, was written before Jesus came to earth, but it gives us stunning and clear truths about who the Messiah is. So there's great benefit for us looking uh, at this passage of Scripture this morning. And uh, gifts play a big role in Jesus coming to earth. Of course, we think of, of the wise men when we hear something like that. But that's not specifically what we're thinking about today. Today we're thinking about how the Holy Spirit rested upon Jesus and gave him the gifts necessary to carry out his mission. We read of the Holy Spirit resting on the Messiah here in Isaiah 11. 
See, all of the things that humanity was called to be, Jesus is. And Jesus was in the days that he walked this earth. The Holy Spirit fills Jesus with certain gifts. And in turn, we see that the Spirit in Jesus Christ gives the people of God a portion of this giftedness as well. One of the reasons why it's important to think about passages like this. What the Holy Spirit gives to Jesus, and in turn, what the Holy Spirit gives to God's people as Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to us in and through the gospel. So when we think about of the Holy Spirit giving gifts to Jesus as the Messiah, what we're talking about is what the Holy Spirit gives to the human nature of Jesus. Jesus as the Messiah, of course, as we as we have sung already this morning, he is God of God, he is light of light, he is divine, but he is also human. He is true man and true God. We think about then this, the, the Holy Spirit giving these gifts to Jesus so that he can accomplish his mission as the ideal man, as the ideal human being. In the carol that we have just sung as well, we see that he is the branch of Jesse's stem, which means he comes as the, the Davidic king, the son of David, but also in a sense greater than David, which is why Isaiah in this passage reaches back further and calls him the branch of Jesse. He will come in the spirit of David, of King David, but he will also be greater than David. David's son, but David's greater son. So here are some central thoughts this morning as we think about Isaiah 11. Jesus is the Davidic king who establishes an eternal kingdom of justice and righteousness. He is successful because of the Holy Spirit's equipping him for this task. And because of that same Spirit given to us, we know that we too are given some of these same gifts in order to serve and to honor God in our lives. We look then at verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 11. We read of two things, a shoot and a stump. The coming king... The Messiah will be like a shoot which is coming out of a stump in the ground. A stump which has been cut down. And that tells us something about the Davidic kingship, doesn't it? The day that Isaiah is writing, the kingdom of Israel is deteriorating. Deteriorating because of their disobedience. And the glories of the Davidic kingdom have been so lessened that they're like unto a stump that is in the ground. It has been cut down. Through the judgment of God. It's nothing but a rootstock. This would have been a place really of humiliation. The glories that a tree once enjoyed being reduced to a stump. It's interesting that in chapter 10, the chapter just before this, God of course is speaking about Assyria. And Assyria is is really always in, in the purview of Isaiah as he's writing his book. And Assyria is likened to a forest. A forest full of trees full of glory, full of power. So our natural minds might think, that's what you want to be like. You want to be like Assyria, the forest. Even even God is looking upon them favorably. But at the end of chapter 10, even though Assyria is like a forest, this is what God says. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the bows with terrifying power, right? He's going to cut them down. The great in height will be hewn down. The lofty will be brought low. 
He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. Assyria is like a forest, but God can wipe them out as well. God can take them out too. We come to chapter 11 then. We see not a forest, but a single stump. And it's through this single stump that God is going to establish his eternal kingdom, that God is going to accomplish his redemption. What does this remind us of? It reminds us of the fact that God alone saves. It reminds us of the fact that the glory of salvation is to go to God alone. He can use something that our natural minds would think is useless. It's done. The stump of Jesse, the, the, the Davidic kingship, it's over. Figure something else out. Start over. Devise a new plan. But no, this is not going to be something completely new. It's going to be something old. God remaining true to his promises. Must remember in scripture that the Bible, that the story of what God does from beginning to end, it's not plan A, then plan B, then plan C, right? It is one plan focused from eternity past, given greater clarity through all of the promises as God reveals more and more and more about what he's going to do. So he's going to redeem this stump of Jesse. Again, as as I mentioned, he reaches further back behind David because the sons of David at this point don't have a very good track record. From, From Solomon on in Israel, it hasn't been a very pretty picture. A lot of unfaithfulness, a lot of breaking God's law, a a lot of welcoming idolatry into the land and bringing judgment, the judgment of God, upon the nation because in many ways God looked upon the nation and viewed them and judged them through the faithfulness of the king. They didn't have many faithful kings, did they? So this promise reaches back behind David, the stump the rootstock of Jesse. It says that this shoot will bear fruit. What does that mean? What does it mean that, that, that this shoot of Jesse, out of, the, out of the stump of Jesse, will bear fruit? Will it be like Assyria? A, a bountiful forest, military might, worldly power, all of the things that our, our natural incl- inclinations would think would be good? Well, no. Because what did the military might, the glory of the Assyrian kingdom, ultimately, where did it get them? If we think about the end of chapter 10, which we just read. It ultimately didn't get them anywhere, did it? Ultimately, it did not mean much. And so when God says that his kingdom is going to bear fruit, this shoot is going to bear fruit, what he means is that Israel will bear fruit of a spiritual and a lasting quality. This is a spiritual fruit of a lasting quality. How is it that people would summarize David? They would say that he is a man after God's own heart. So if we're talking about the true Davidic king, someone who comes in the spirit of King David, that will be the kind of king that he is. And he will rule and establish a kingdom That will be filled with people after God's own heart. That is what the true Davidic king will do. That is what Jesus does. As the Davidic king, he creates a kingdom of people after God's own heart. That's the way that the king of Israel was supposed to reign. He was not supposed to be like the kings of the earth 
who reigned according to his glory, wanting to seek his fame. The king of Israel was to reign and to rule to point to the true God of the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, to create a situation where people could know and glorify God. This is how we know that Isaiah 11 speaks of exclusively of the Messiah. This is a goal so lofty, this bearing fruit. It's a goal that is so lofty, so spiritual, so heavenly, that only the promised one of God, only the one who was promised all the way back in Genesis 3, only he could be the one who could accomplish all of these things. So it tells us, Isaiah 11 tells us of Jesus in no uncertain terms. It tells us of the Messiah. Because only Jesus would be the one who can bring about this type of fruit, the spiritual and lasting and heavenly fruit. This is why Jesus did not concern himself with political ends. He stands before Pontius Pilate, and what does he say? My kingdom is not of this world. It's something better. It's something transcendent. It's something eternal. It comes as a king, but a king that you might not expect. He's equipped to do then what the other kings before him could not do, within Israel and without. He has a myriad of gifting. He has all kinds of different things that allow him to accomplish what God sent him to do. Have you ever seen anyone who has just a vast array of giftedness and they're able to accomplish all of their responsibilities with with excellence, right? Our uh, Reformed tradition lost a hero this week. R.C. Sproul, and he was this kind of man, gifted in so many different ways. He had the rare gift of being a philosopher and a theologian and a Bible scholar and a preacher and proclaimer of the gospel. He also was a bit of a visionary leader, right? He also had administrative skills. He was able to establish different organizations that uh, taught people about the Reformed tradition and our great doctrine and theology that's been handed down. A vast array of giftedness. Because he he was able to do so many different things. That's kind of what we see with the Messiah in Isaiah 11. He displays all of these wonderful characteristics because he is anointed and he is gifted. He is anointed and he is gifted. Anointed means very simply that the Holy Spirit has been given to him to uh, complete his task. As I mentioned earlier, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit resting upon the Messiah and resting upon Jesus and gifting him, we're talking about the Holy Spirit gifting the human nature of Jesus. Jesus is divine and human in the unity of one person. And everything about Jesus we understand through the lens of these two natures. Jesus suffers according to his human nature. But various things about the knowledge and the power that he has, we understand that through the lens of his divine nature. So as the human Messiah, the Holy Spirit is given to Jesus and it rests upon him. The third person of the Trinity, a divine person distinct from Jesus, given to him to accomplish his task on earth. We read about this in Luke chapter 4. Remember, Jesus goes into the synagogue and he gets up to read uh, the the, the reading from uh, from the Old Testament that day. And he goes to Isaiah chapter 61. And he says this, or we read this. Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's anointed. The Holy Spirit rests upon him. The Holy Spirit rests upon him, and the Holy Spirit uh, gifts him with these virtues, these characteristics uh, that we read about. Many people throughout Scripture have shown many of these characteristics, but it's only the Messiah who shows all of them simultaneously. Solomon had wisdom, right? David had might. Esther had understanding and perception. Elijah had knowledge and the fear of the Lord. But all of these things appear in the Messiah. All of them appear simultaneously. The one who will show the world what it truly means to be human. But Jesus does not show us what it truly means to be human in order to to hold it out there as some some ideal thing that we ourselves need to accomplish. In showing us what a true human being lives like, he accomplishes salvation for us. And then he gives us salvation as a gift. He accomplishes it, and then he gives it to us as a gift. But let's think then about what the Holy Spirit gives to the Messiah. First, we read about wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding. And keep in mind that because we see this in the Messiah, and because the same Holy Spirit is given to us, Think about the many ways in which the Holy Spirit equips us, uh, to a lesser degree, of course, but equips us with many of these same things. Wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is intelligence, isn't it? But it's far more. Wisdom is far more than intelligence. It's more than just head knowledge. It's intelligence with regard to making decisions. It's an ability to live rightly in this world with the many situations that arise. God gives his people the Ten Commandments, right? But it's not as if he spells out what we are to exactly do in every single situation that could arise. Then the law would have to be millions upon millions upon millions of pages long, perhaps endless. Wisdom is an ability to live rightly according to what God has commanded In the many situations that arise, it's more than just head knowledge. Wisdom is paired with understanding. Understanding is the fuel for our wisdom. It's the foundation for our wisdom. It's a perception into how the world works, right? It's insight, seeing the moral order of the world, the way God has fit everything together, according to what he has made, according to what he has commanded. It's the fuel or the foundation of our wisdom. We read of counsel and might. Counsel and might. These are the the, the practical outworking of wisdom. Counsel and might. Particularly giving judgments on matters. We think of kings who, who render judgments when we talk about a counsel. It's a king who can rule wisely and has the courage to carry out his wisdom. Might is the power to carry out all of these things. God himself, or God speaks of himself in the Old Testament as a powerful counselor, right? Isaiah 46.10, my counsel shall stand and I shall accomplish all of my purpose, right? He has a counsel rooted in eternity. This is how things are going to play out. And in his sovereignty and his power, he unfolds them exactly according to what he has judged 
to be right. After the cross and the resurrection, the apostles in the New Testament, specifically the Apostle Paul, speaks about God as the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He has counsel and might. Isaiah 9, another passage that deals with the, the Messiah, we, we see these terms together, or, or at least in close proximity to one another. He is the wonderful counselor. He is uh, the mighty God. We read in the book of Deuteronomy that Israel was a nation without counsel, without counsel. And, in, and insofar as they are without counsel, they show us the need for a savior. See, they did not follow the counsel of God. We read of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Knowledge and fear of the Lord is the content of our wisdom. You cannot uh, overestimate the value and the importance of knowledge. Jesus says in John 17, This is eternal life, that they know you the only true God. Knowing God is eternal life. And this is what Jesus gives to the people of the earth. He is revealing to them realities about the eternal God. Matthew chapter 11 says this, No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Fear of the Lord is also foundational in Scripture. We read in Proverbs, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of the Lord, you could probably summarize with these three words. Uh, recognizing, revering, and responding. Recognizing that God is a holy God. Recognizing who he is, his holiness, his justice, his power. Revering him because of that, right? He is a God whom we must revere because of his holiness, because of who he is. Responding to that in your life. If you really believe that that is who God is, and you really believe that he has told you what it is you are to do, then one would think that you would see it in the way that you live your life. Recognizing, responding, revering. We might think of the angels in heaven who live in pure devotion to God, always living to praise Him, unceasingly singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. They live in pure devotion to Him. Why? Because they recognize His holiness. Because they recognize who He is. They revere him as they recognize him. They respond in living in pure uh, devotion to God. That is uh, the fear of the Lord. What are the meaning, what's the meaning of all of these gifts? Well, as we said, Jesus as the Messiah shows all of these things in a way no one else ever has or ever will. And in so doing, he shows us that he is the ideal human being. The one who has come to right all of the wrongs from Genesis 3 onwards. Adam and Eve were placed in the garden to render good judgments, but they did not do that, did they? Created as the image of God, they were to render good judgments, but they failed. Jesus comes in their wake as the one who would right the wrongs, as the one who is called, right, the second Adam. The second Adam. Second, we see in, in the various ways that Jesus is gifted, we see that all of the promises of God coalesce in him as the Messiah, the center of our salvation, the embodiment of our salvation, the prophet and the priest and the king. 
And finally, we see as the one who is anointed and gifted by the Spirit, he gives the Spirit. In John 1, we read this. John the Baptist says, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, anointed with the Spirit, in salvation, gives the Spirit. Right? Remember he says, When he's about to go into heaven, I will not leave you as orphans. He actually tells his disciples, it is better that I leave, that I depart, so that I may send the Spirit, the Helper, the Helper to come and to be with you and to to help you. So, in Christ, the Spirit endows us with wisdom and understanding. See, just as the Holy Spirit gives gifts to Jesus, the Messiah, we can then expect that the Holy Spirit will give gifts to us. The Spirit endows us with wisdom and understanding, with an ability to render correct judgments, a a perception into the moral order of the world. This is what the Holy Spirit gives to each of us, to a lesser degree than Jesus, to be sure. But truly, nonetheless, he gives us counsel and might. Counsel and might that we might have the courage to carry out what we know to be true. He gives us knowledge and the fear of the Lord that we might live in devotion to him, that we might recognize and revere and respond, so that we might live in a way that God intended his creatures to live. This is why the people of God stand as a beacon of light in the midst of the world, that God repairs his image in his people, And we stand as a beacon of light to what happens in God's redemption. It's also why the perfect peace, the the peace that's described in the rest of the passage, which is really speaking of the age of the resurrection, right? Where uh, the the animal kingdom is at peace with itself and it is at peace with humanity. These are visions of eternity. But... Because of the Holy Spirit, because of the new and the eternal life that we experience now by the power of the Spirit, this is, uh, th- this is one of the ways in which, as the people of God, we can show these things to one another, all of these characteristics that the Spirit gives to us, and we can show them forth to a world that needs to experience, experience the redemption that can be found only in Jesus Christ. So he establishes this kingdom of justice and righteousness and peace. Verse 3 speaks of a a fragrance that is pleasant, right? And that is the way the Messiah thinks about the fear of the Lord. He delights in the fear of the Lord. He delights in creating a kingdom by the power of his spirit that is filled with the fear of the Lord. That's what God is doing in each of us. Establishing and growing our fear of the Lord. Jesus Christ, as this true Davidic king, the branch of Jesse, the one who bears fruit, he is the one who is called faithful and true. The passage also speaks of God who will come to execute justice. One of the things we must remember about Christmas is that just because Christ came humbly, it does not mean that he is not ferocious with sin. That is who God is. God will expel sin from his kingdom. It has no place in it. Sin will be banished either through forgiveness or through God judging the wicked, as it says in verse 4. But the wonderful message of Christmas is that 
Christ did come humbly in order so that we might be involved in his salvation. See, if Christ were to come to put an end to sin once and for all right away, he would have had to put an end to us. We must always keep in mind that this Jesus came humbly in order to save us from sin so that he might give us peace. Victory over the grave, another thing that we speak of in that wonderful Christmas carol. From depths of hell thy people save, give them victory or the grave. All of these, uh, these perfect ways that peace is described towards the end of the passage, uh, this is the kind of peace that will, be described, that will be experienced in the eternal kingdom of God. In the age of resurrection, in the age when the branch of Jesse's stem will be like a banner for all of the people. When the earth, the new heavens and the new earth will truly be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. The branch of Jesse will be as a banner for the people. For in eternity we will lift high the name of Jesus Christ. But we must remember this season, brothers and sisters, that before he was lifted high in exaltation, he needed to be lifted up in humiliation, nailed to a cross to pay sin, the perfect man, the one with wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, fear in the knowledge of the Lord. He lived that for us so that he might die for us. We think of the angels in heaven completely devoted to God, love and devotion to him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The earth is, is filled with his glory. That same God who is worthy of all praise and adoration became man so that he might come and live and die for us, to bear the price for sin at the cross. So how much more, how much more ought we to give ourselves in love and devotion to the one who lived as the ideal man, who had all that God intended for us to be, the mighty God, but yet became the lamb who was slain for us, to bring us to God and give us eternal life. Give yourself in love and devotion to him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful message of the Christmas season. The God-man, the Messiah, the branch of Jesse, who came gifted by the Holy Spirit to live for us the ideal life, the perfect life, perfect obedience, so that he might be a sacrifice for us so that he might bring us to you to save us, as your word says, to the uttermost. Father, make us grateful for that. Impress these truths deeply upon our minds and our hearts. May we live always for your glory and for the glory of Jesus Christ, your Son. May we live in the power of the Spirit always. We stand in awe of the one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living and reigning now and forever. Amen.